Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And the text reads, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. God, my Father, I pray, Lord, that You would um, strengthen right now. God, I pray, Lord, that You would um, just reveal to us Your truth. God, that You would open up hearts, open up minds, Lord, to Your message. God, I pray, Lord, that it would be God understood and concise, Father. God, that, um, that, God, that You would have Your way with us. That Your Holy Spirit would move upon each person. God, that You would do with these words what man cannot do. God, we love You and we thank You. We lean on You. We lean on your truth, Father. We know that, that you, you sanctify us with your truth. And God, we ask you for that. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, the context of this uh, scripture at this time, you know, by this time, Jesus had told his disciples of his impending death. This was at least the third time. You know, we, we can see it in Mark 8, we can see it in Mark 9, and then again in Mark 10, is he makes. You know, he gives this prophecy. He gives this, um, you know, this vision to his disciples of what's going to happen to him. And, and for his disciples who had followed and, and really for, for so many of the Jewish nation that had waited so long for the Messiah. And they had pictured the Messiah being one thing. They had pictured the Messiah um, overthrowing any rule that, that was uh, you know, in control of them. In this case, the Roman rule. And, and they, they pictured the Messiah building up this kingdom where Israel once again was, was uh, revered among all nations. And so that, that, they, that He would be the Savior. And so, but here in Mark 8, you know, when, um, when Jesus says that He would be crucified and, and raised three days later, Peter rebukes Jesus in Mark 9. The, you know, he says it again. And in Mark 9, the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. And then here in Mark 10, uh, right before he gives this statement that we read in verse 45, James and John request seats at the right and left hand of Jesus. Thrones that they, you know, they've been promised. You know these thrones and uh, you know these seats by 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 Jesus Christ. And they were arguing, you know, that, that, or they were requesting that Jesus would give them the the seat to the right and to the left. And so they had this misconception of the true nature of the kingdom of Christ and what it would be. And they were they were asking from very selfish standpoints. From very worldly, earthly standpoints. And, and you can see though that, that Christ tries to turn their attention from selfishness to selflessness. Christ's purpose in His coming was to ransom a people. And that, and that word ransom, what is it to ransom? Well ransom, it means a price paid to secure the freedom of a slave or to set free from liabilities and charges and generally the deliverance from calamity by paying the redemption price 
or that which was forfeited. To ransom. The verb luo in the Greek means to loose or to set free. Uh, it is the root then lutron, that which secures the freedom or the payment to forfeit. And latro means to set free upon payment of a ransom to redeem. Latrosis, the actual setting free, the redemption. And the latrotis means the redeemer. So all those Greek words are the, the words that we're going to see time and time again in meaning to redeem, to ransom, to set free. Okay? And, and what we also see um, in the New Testament a lot is that word redemption. And so what, what is it about this word ransom? Why is a ransom or a payment needed in, in situations? Why would you need a ransom? Well, one, you get an injured party. Like you think about it. If, if someone um, hurts someone else, like for instance, if uh, I had this time where uh, I was uh, a young boy, probably 12, 13, 14 years old, and you know, uh, I'd go out in the field and work for my dad, and, and he'd give me a little bit of money and, uh, during the summers. And so um, I can remember I had, I had a friend over, and my brother had a friend over, and some of my money came up missing. Well, I knew it couldn't have been my friend. So I immediately blame it on my brother's friend. And, um, and so, so as, as uh, time went by, we never, never figured out, never could, you know, pin it on him. And, um, and so I, you know, forgot about it eventually. You know, at the time it was a lot of money. And, and uh, at the time it was, uh, I felt, you know, betrayed and, I, you know, if you've ever had anything stolen from you, you know that feeling. And, and so, but as the years went by, I mean, I had forgotten about it. And Ashley and I had probably been married for a few years by the time and I got this letter in the mail. And it was from my friend that had spent the night. And, uh, you know, of course, he's an adult and married and, and a believer. And over the years, he had felt convicted over what he did. And so he apologized in this letter. It wasn't Joseph, by the way. <laughs> he, he, uh, I know everybody was thinking it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so he apologized in this letter. But not only did he apologize, he put the amount that he stole in the envelope too. And, and I remember um, just this feeling of, of peace and love towards him as I read the letter. And, and, you know, by this time, I mean, I've done so much in my life, a lot, a lot worse than what he did. And, and uh, I, I can remember um, love and peace that I, you know, this overwhelming feeling of, of a bond that, you know, that he and I had been friends for years, even after that. And, and that, um, that you just felt a relationship restored over it. And um, and stronger because of it, you know. He and I still are are great friends to this day, and and he's in ministry, and and you know just that that feeling, that overwhelming feeling, and of knowing that I can trust him, and and so, you know, I remember feeling that, and then and then I started remembering 
uh, about the story of Zacchaeus. You know, before he's a believer, you know how he stole. But that once he became a believer, not only did he give back, but he gave back four times the amount owed. That, that in those situations that there was an injured party, that someone had taken, someone had done someone wrong, you had you know, spoken out against someone or had physically injured someone. And there was an injured party, someone who not only who may have been physically injured, but more than that, maybe emotionally, spiritually injured in that relationship where you don't feel like you can trust someone where that relationship broke down. And I thought about how would it be, you know, because I know how it felt just receiving the amount that was owed me. That, that, um, that letter that apologized so sincerely and that, and that money that now given back to me that was once owed. But then I think about how would it have been, and this is no knock on my friend, but how would it have been if, if it was like Zacchaeus was four times the amount? How much more even so? Because, because I can imagine those people who had spoken so horrible about Zacchaeus, you know, probably called him so many names. And the things that they had probably done, but they looked at Zacchaeus, right, as a tax collector, someone worse than anybody. And then Zacchaeus, the scum of the earth, gives them four times the amount that he even took from them. What, I wonder what they felt like at that moment. To not only... You know, to see him in a new light. But, but I wonder how it felt that relationship restored. The, the fact that they knew that they could trust him, but then, then probably the conviction that they may, maybe felt in their own life. Over the things that they had said about him. Maybe the things that they had done. Maybe they had stolen from someone else before. And, and so, because I know what it meant to me. When I received that letter, I wanted to go and apologize to those I had done wrong and make right the relationships I had broken when someone extended that, that honor to me. So what does it mean to ransom? You know, and I think about it means to satisfy the injury. That justice has been served. That the relationship and the trust in that, in that, uh, between those parties has been restored. That there has been redemption too to the one that injured the other. You know, have you ever been in that situation? Where you knew you had injured someone. You know, and, and but then they allowed you to make it right. They allowed the, the relationship to be restored. You know, all throughout the scripture, we see we see this theme over and over again, you know, of ransom. You know, a lot of times we think of the word ransom and I think of, I think that we only think about it in modern terms. In modern terms, ransom is something that you think the bad guy gets because we associate it with what? Kidnapping. And a lot of times, you know, we think about we pay a ransom because we got we got to pay that kidnapper, right? The one who who stole the child, who stole the person, and they're the ones that get the ransom, and and so that we can obtain the person back. And so, so we associate it in that way. 
But when we look at the word in context of the Bible, we have to look at it from you know, a more complete view. Uh, that it's used in, in a, a much more broader sense, this word ransom. And so in Exodus 21.30, you know, you can see really in Exodus, Leviticus, all the law, you see these several times where these uh, different people have this opportunity to redeem. You know, we see this opportunity to redeem um, servants and to redeem land, to go back and, and to buy land that once was yours and, and to, to this idea of a kinsman redeemer. But the, but the law... We see it. It talks about that. This um, well in Exodus twenty-one, we have the law concerning the case of a person who's killed by an ox. Okay, have y'all read that before? That if if you own an ox at that time, and your ox gore someone, if they do so, and it was a known fact that they had gone that they had gored someone before then for that person who owns the ox, then they're responsible for the death, the injury to the party that was, that was hurt in that attack. Because they knew better to keep, they should have kept their ox in. And they let their ox out. And so the way that the law was written is that if someone was, was killed by an ox, that the person who owned the ox that their life, that they would be taken. That their life would be taken. But, there was this opportunity that the family of the one who had lost the loved one, they could, they could um, give a sum of money that, that could be paid as a ransom to redeem that person's life. So that they would not have to give their life, but that they could pay that sum of money. That sum of money would literally literally be known in Hebrew as the atonement. The atonement payment. And so you see these, um, these punishments throughout the Scriptures, the Old Testament. This law. This law that is, is, is really is supposed to be, and so many times it was up to the judge, it meant that the punishment should fit the crime. So a lot of times that's why if it was, it was an eye that you lost, it was an eye that you have to give. It was a life for a life, right? And so, and so, if you injured, you know, your servant, that you would have to let them go free. And that, and that, if you if you injured a pregnant woman, is that there would be a price to pay for that as well. And so, there, there was there was all these laws that were given, but that there would be these opportunities in that. To, to get redemption. You know, and, and so we can see throughout the Old Testament that God was pointing out to His people this concept of ransom and redemption. This idea with justice and law that there was ability to give a payment to redeem that which was lost or pay an injured party back for which someone owed. You know, I think so much of that story, you know, we just went over it in Sunday school not too long ago of the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. You know, and that, that Ruth and Naomi left without, you know, husbands to, to take care of them. And Boaz, you know, he didn't have to, but that he, he wasn't even the closest kin, but that he takes it upon himself to, 
to redeem these women, to make sure to take care of them, that they would not be without. There was also this concept throughout the scriptures that an unblemished sacrifice had to be made for the atonement of the sins of the people. That there had been this separation from God as a result of our sins. And a price of blood had to be paid. That, that it had to be death that would bring life. That there was life in the blood. And that there had to be this payment. You know, that, that God is just. That He requires a just payment for, that, for those um, sins against Him. You know, and you think about that. Like, I, I was talking in my class um, this past week, and we were, we were talking about, you know, the difference between fairness and equality. And I asked them, I was like, well, what do you think? Which one do y'all think God is? Is he, is he for equality? Is he for fairness? And, you know, we had this discussion. And I said, I said, really? I said, he's neither. It's not fair. Because, and you don't want him to be. Because if God was fair, not in the sense that we think of fairness, because if God was fair, then who would enter into his kingdom? It wouldn't be. It wouldn't. Because you think about this. What have we done against God? It's treasonous when you think about it. We've really committed treason. And every time we commit sin, we commit treason against the image of God. Right? Because He's the one that creates us and gives us breath. And, and what we do, you think about what, a, what a, a traitor is, what treason really means and what the punishment for treason is. In almost every society, it's death, isn't it? It, it means that you have, not only that you have committed sin against a person, but, tre- but treason is that you committed sin against the nation. Against Against the concepts of who you are, what you believe as a society. And so, and so what we do when we commit sin, you know, Romans 1 talks about it like this. It's talking about what man has become. Paul talks about it in Romans 1. What has man become? What have we gone to? And it talks about how mankind has exchanged the glory of God for images. Like that we're worshiping the creature instead of the creation so that we have I mean think about what we've done and that every time we sin I mean I challenge you to to prove me wrong in this aspect every time that we sin aren't we choosing the creature over the creation every time that we sin aren't we choosing to do it our way instead of his Aren't we choosing selfishness over selflessness? Yes, Aren't we choosing evil over good? Every time we sin, we, we commit treason. It's treasonous. We go against our very reason for being created. We go against the one who gives us life and the one who sacrificed his son that we could have eternal life. Who would this ransom be paid to? Now, I know that seems like a silly question, and probably everyone in here, hopefully everyone does know this, but to be honest with you, um, the books 
and you know novels and the and media and movies can can really twist our thinking in this in this idea in, in this realm of good versus evil that you see portrayed that it would seem like in, in a lot of things that we watch that Satan would be the one that the ransom would be paid to because uh, for one that we think like like I told you earlier uh, we think of ransom as something that you pay the bad guy, right? That you pay the kidnapper. And and um, and there, I think that there is this thought process among some, even some of early theologians said that that it was Satan is the one that the ransom was to be paid to, almost like that God has to pay to get us back. But that is not who gets the ransom, not to Satan, but it's rather to God. Satan is not the injured party in this relationship. In this relationship between man and God, Satan is not the injured party in the, in the fact that we commit sin against God. God also owes nothing to Satan except for the wrath to come. We aren't stolen by Satan. Though according to 2 Timothy 2.26, we are captives of Satan. It is, but it is only by the permission of God. Do you believe that? It's only by the permission of God? Well, think about it. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. And, and, you, and you know, and think about it like this. Uh, Job, for instance, when, when Satan goes to God, he has to request, right? Before he can do anything to Job, he has to request of God. And that is not a, it's not a compromise or a negotiation that's going on there, right? Do y'all understand that? You know, some people look at that as almost a negotiation or a compromise between him and God. That is not what's going on. That is a request. Much like we pray, we request, right? We ask God, we lean on God, we beg God, we ask Him for grace and mercy. It was not a negotiation when Abraham went to God either. Some people looked at that when Abraham went to God about, about uh, his nephew Lot trying to spare the city, Sodom. That was not a negotiation. Some people look at it like that because he's like 50 and then the 40 and then the 30 and the 10. He should have kept on going down further. That was him requesting that God do something. God did not have to compromise his position. God could... God could decide what He wanted to do through His own grace and mercy, His will. And so, we have to understand that. That yes, we are captives of Satan, but only by the permission of God. But we are children of wrath. That that's what we are by nature. That we have stolen the glory and honor that we should give God. That we have sinned against God. That He is the injured party. That we are both the perpetrators, the captors. Did y'all know that? We are the ones. We're the perpetrators. We're, we're the captors in that really by our own rebellious nature, we're in bondage to sin because of ourselves. Because of our nature. We're in bondage to sin. So we're both the captors and we are Captive in bondage to our own sin and the impending wrath of God. And because of it, 
because that we have sinned against the Holy God, we owe God now something that we cannot afford. Think about it. You know, you know I think about it like, like for instance, what if, what if it was, you know, we're going by the law and, and you know, if it was me that had the ox and the ox got out and it, and it gore someone. And, you know, I think about that. And then what if I did not have the money to redeem myself? So, so here in this system of justice, that justice must be paid, that the injured party must be satisfied, right? That there is a family hurting and that there must be justice served. But in order to serve justice, even though I did not mean it was an unintentional death, that, that I was neglectful because my ox, I knew that it had done this before and I did not keep it in and that it killed this person and now according to the law that I must die. So I go and stand before the judge and, and the family has, has given an amount of money and the judge says that that amount of money is satisfactory and if you can pay that amount of money, then you can go free. But what if that amount of money is something that I could never afford? What if that amount of money is too much for me? Then that amount of money would send, would send me to my grave. Right? But what if, what if the family says, no, we'll pay it. Matter of fact, we'll sacrifice one of our own. And the death that you deserve that that we will take. You know, and I think like who would do that? Like as as, as I stand on trial and it's my fault and I'm in the wrong, who would say at the out of the out of the family that lost the loved one that I'll take it? That I'll sacrifice myself. That I'll take your place and I'll take your death. You see, in, in the relationship with God is that we owe Him something that we cannot afford. We have stolen something from Him that we can never give back. Think about it. If you, if you, if you steal the glory of God one time from Him, things that, that you ought to give Him praise and honor and glory for, how can you ever give that back? How can you give back the breaths that you know that He deserved for you to live for Him and you chose to live for yourself in selfishness and sin? How can you give Him that back? There's really no way, is there? There's absolutely no way to give that back. And so some movies, though, excuse me, let me not get ahead of myself. Satan cannot demand a ransom for something he does not possess outright and that he does not have supreme authority over. He cannot he cannot demand that ransom. God doesn't owe him a ransom. Some movies, even The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the book written by C.S. Lewis, which I I love C.S. Lewis. And then there is so much biblical truth in that, in the way that he describes, you know, um, you know, in this it is a fantasy. The book is 
But, but, the, but he incorporates so much biblical truth within it. But if you, un, if you watch the uh, movie or if you read the book, Aslan the Lion, it represents Christ. But if you, if you pay attention to the details, then you could really get confused. Because if you let a book or a movie determine your theology, then in this, in this movie, when Aslan offers himself up, he had, to go, he had to go negotiate with the evil witch. And that's what she demanded of him. So in that movie, it, it looks like that that is what happened. That in this, in this realm of good versus evil, that in, in order for good to win out, that they had to give something to evil. That they had to, you know, that, they had to pay a ransom to evil. That, they had, that, that in that case, that God would have to pay a ransom to the devil. But that's not true. In fact, not only is that not true, not only did Satan not... Or was he not paid off by the ransom? But it says that he was put to shame at the cross. In Colossians 2.15, he was disarmed and put to shame. And not only that, in Hebrews 2.14 and 15, it says that he was defeated. He's not the victor. This isn't a scenario where he has kidnapped us and that, and that now that the ransom's got to be paid to... to uh, to Him so that God gets us back? That's not it. And real justice in that scenario where there's someone kidnapped, and real justice, how would it go? That person would be arrested and they would be the one that would have to pay the price. Life in prison probably. They would be the ones. Not the, one, not the ones who had been had been the ones offended, not the ones that there had been something lost. So who had to be offered up as the ransom? In Psalm 49, 7 and 8, it says this, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Do you know what that means? I mean, that... That'd be bad news in one sense. It makes me think of Romans 3.23, the first part, for the, way, for the wages of sin is death. Because what it's saying right here is you can't escape it. You know, in, in a world of justice, if you want to talk about the things that we have done and we're on trial before the God of the universe, if, if we wanted to, let's say that I wanted to offer up myself for the sins of another. For my brother. I didn't want my brother to go to hell. So I want to offer up myself. What this is saying here. No man can ransom another. Or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. We don't have enough. We can't ransom ourselves or anybody else. It costs too much. It's an invaluable price tag. There's no way that we could do it. But thank God that it says in verse 15 here, and we see it throughout the Scriptures, it says this, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, the grave, 
for He will receive me. It's not necessarily talking about Christ here, but it's, it is pointing definitely towards the Gospel. You think about this. God will ransom my soul. I can't do it. You can't do it for me. But God can do it. Who had to be offered up as the ransom? Another, another Scripture that points to Jesus not just as the Messiah, but as God Himself. Only God can ransom. Only God can ransom us, can deliver us from death. So I love to finish what it says in Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Philippians 2.7, it says that Jesus Christ emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. I mean, think about that. I mean, have we have we took time like the things that we speak of have we really took time to ponder them like do you know that the things that we speak of tonight and i know i mean i know how tiring it can be you know how tiring life can be and you sit there and and you know you just to be honest maybe even wanting it to end you know but but listen to me the things that we talk about tonight, the things that we ponder tonight, the reason why that, that the preachers spend hours on a message is not so we can just listen. It's that we can listen, we can ponder, we can pray over, and then we can take to the world. Because the things that come out of this pulpit should not end in this pulpit, right? They should go out. They should be shared. Hopefully they're worth sharing. Hopefully what I give to you tonight, that something is worth sharing. That something is worth giving someone that it doesn't end, it doesn't end at the, at the, um, at the seats that you sit in, but it, it actually begins there. That it, that it should, that it should stir up within us this desire to share what we know. Christ is emptied. It says He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He's given up His throne. He's taken on this form of mankind in which He will... You know, I try to tell kids all the time when they're, when they're talking about their problems, and I'm like, look, listen. Please listen to me on this. There is no one that understands the pain and the suffering that you go through more than Jesus Christ. There is no one. No one felt more humiliation. No one felt more, more guilt and more shame. When all the sins of the world and all the guilt of the world is thrown on you, no one felt lonelier. I mean... Look at what he went through. And so, and so when we have this attitude of nobody knows how I feel, think about, think about the dishonor that that, that, that does Christ. When we, when we think that and we say that. When we say no one knows how we feel. When we 
throw ourselves a pity party. Think of the dishonor that we pour on Christ by even thinking such a thing. Say, that's a blasphemous thought to think like that. We have to be careful. Ephesians 5.2 says this, And walk in love as Christ loved us. That's powerful enough. You could preach forever on that. That we're supposed to walk in love as Christ loved us. Oh, how did He love you? How does He love you? To walk in love as Christ loved us and He gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That offering was given to who? God. That sacrifice was given to God. That ransom was paid to God. Why did God need to be satisfied? Because we have sinned against Him. Every sin that we commit is a sin against God. Every single one. In Hebrews 9.14 it says, The blood of Christ offered Himself without blemish to God. Without blemish. How does that work? How was God satisfied? The death of Jesus. I love how Piper puts it. He says, The death of Jesus Christ repaired what was dishonored. God's glory. God's glory was dishonored. That we had done that. That the, that the ones that, that He made in His image, that the rest of creation, that it goes about every single second, every single second, the rest of creation does exactly what it's made to do, doesn't it? It honors God. We're the ones. We're the part of His creation. The one that He made special. The one that He made in His image. The one He wanted relationship with. We're the ones that damaged that. We're the ones. Every time we sin. Think of what the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ do to people. I want you all to think about that for a second. When you heard it for the first time. Or you really heard it for the first time. You know what I mean? Like you may have heard it all your life. But when it really hits you the first time. When it really hits you that God Almighty crucified His Son. And that His Son went willingly. Because, because there's this notion too that I hear from some non-believers. You know, why would God do that to His Son? Why would He do that? That's cruel. And I'm like, you got to remember this part. Jesus Christ went willingly to do the will of the Father. And that God the Father proves His love for us in that. And that by offering His Son, Jesus Christ is glorified. And then think about this. What made you love God Almighty more than the cross and the resurrection? Think about that for a second. What stirred the love that you have? You love God right now. What stirred the love that you have for God more than the cross? What proved His love more than the cross? Would there be anything? There's nothing, is there? There shouldn't be. 
There shouldn't be anything that, that shows the love of the Father for us more than the cross. There shouldn't be anything that shows the love of Christ for us more than the cross. So there's nothing that brings God more glory than the cross. There's nothing that brings the Son, Jesus Christ, more glory than the cross, the resurrection, the gospel story. Why? Who did Christ ransom? Who did He come ransom? He came for the lost. He came for the sick, the unrighteous, the broken. He came for what He calls His chosen, His lost sheep, His elect. That's who He says He came for. Matthew 26-28 says this, For this My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Why were they ransomed? Why were we ransomed? We have been bought. We've been redeemed. And for what reason? In Titus 2.14 it says it like this. Who gave Himself, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. He came to ransom a people that would be set apart for His glory. That would be zealous for good works. Are we those people? In Hebrews 9.28 it says this, So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin that's been dealt with but to save those who are eagerly awaiting Him. Are you eagerly awaiting His return? Every, every morning when you get up, do you see it as one day closer to seeing your God Almighty? How does all of this affect our prayer life? How does understanding what ransom means, what redemption means, and, and forgive me for falling short, because as much as I studied about it, there's so much to this. And I, and I pray that I, that I made it understandable. But how does this affect our prayer life? He's our mediator. He has ransomed us so that we can have relationship with God. Here, right now. I, I asked the kids this morning, we were... You know, to be honest, I, and, and I shouldn't be because I, I know I was one of them and I know how I was when I was a teenager. But you know, we, we go through these Bible studies and, and I ask them, how many of y'all been reading? And usually not many of any. And I, and I ask them, and I ask you the same thing. I say, you know, how do we talk to God? Through prayer, right? Through worship, through prayer. How does God talk to us? Through the Bible. And then I ask Him this, and I ask you the same thing. What is the most important relationship in your life? Answer honestly. What's the most important relationship in your life? And you know what you're supposed to say. 
Right? We know we're supposed to say God. But yet, but yet, how many of us neglect talking to Him? How many of us neglect Him speaking to us? How in the world can we say He's the most important relationship in our life when all we do is ignore Him? You see? Would you say that the most important relationship in your life is someone that you do this to? I don't want to hear you. And we may not have that necessarily have that attitude, but that's how our actions are in it. Do we neglect Him? He paid the price. He's the mediator. He's the intercessor. So that we can have relationship. In 1 Timothy 2.5 it says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave Himself as a ransom for all. Let's pray. God my Father, God I thank You Lord that, that You have ransomed us, that You redeemed us Father. A people that's supposed to be set aside. God, I pray, Lord, um, God, first in myself, and I pray, Lord, that you forgive me where I have failed. God, where I have neglected you, neglected hearing from you and speaking to you, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that you would deal with each one of us accordingly tonight. God, that you would, um, God, not let us, not let us leave this place without dealing with each one of us in the way that You see fit. The way that You want to. God, I pray, Lord, that we will have submissive hearts, God. And God, that, that the way that we will treat the words that are spoken from the pulpit, God, as, as a congregation, Father. God, that we would treat the words spoken in the pulpit, that we would test them according to the Word of God. To make sure that they are your words. But God that as we see that they are your words. That we will take your words. And we will take them to the world. God that we will learn your truths. That we will be disciples that learn your truths. And we share them with people. What do we tell them? What do we tell them about you? We tell them what we learned. God teach us. So that we can tell them. It's all in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.